A continent to love, a people changing the world. You're listening to The Voice of Africa podcast. We unearth compelling stories of trailblazers across disciplines of African descent. Learn from their strategies, challenges, and successes as you build your own vision-driven future. Hi there. In this interview, meet Brian Achiampong. In this podcast, we discuss his life, career, and how we can change Africa's tomorrow today. Let's get right into it. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us to the Voice of Africa podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us who goes by the name of Mr. Brian Champong. He is a globally experienced speaker trained by the English Speaking Union in London, the commencement speaker of SSHE class of 2018, and brand specialist. Let's get straight to the point, shall we, Mr. Brian? Sounds good. Can you tell us a little bit more about your childhood growing up? Okay. My younger years were pretty um, convoluted in terms of focus. I think I was more interested in the experience of being a kid. So it was largely around really just having fun. But at the back of having fun, there was always the, the thought of just the world and sometimes the things that are wrong with the world and the spaces that needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. So I would say in my latter years, uh, nearing upper six, right before graduation, there started being more of a push towards being less frivolous in activities and being a lot more focused. But yeah, so it was like a really sharp transition from uh, dancing around, playing around. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah just, just really having fun to having this big realization dawn on you that there's a big responsibility in the world. And where did that realization come from, do you think? Pretty early. <laughs> I was still fooling yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I, I fooled around for a bit, though, like, till, like, uh, 15. So, okay. yeah, yeah, so sufficient space. Um, the realization came from realizing opportunity spaces and how uh, different people had different chances of accessing these opportunities and also just looking at all my role models and realizing how Western most of them were every time I wanted to draw inspiration and just trying to identify more local heroes I could follow and not finding them and deciding that if I couldn't find them. I mean, I used to follow people's stories, um, Oprah and some other great people. I mean, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, all the people who I'd really had big stretches in terms of coming from a place of a big sacrifice and really building something big with your lives. Mm -hmm. So I feel like deciding that I wanted a more local experience of those stories and my experience could tell other young people when they are growing up that there are these local stories of how you can grow and make in life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just that dawned on me and said, I have to now try and become an example as those people have been to people in their culture and communities. Okay, that's very interesting. So would you say you had any, you mentioned you had role models in, you know, the Western world. Did you have role models that you can look up to? Uh, in the Western world? No, local, like locally in Ghana. Uh, lo- so that was certainly after I grew up. Uh, I mean, largely even uh, those role models at longer age, a lot of them were musicians because I really uh, like music. Okay. But growing up and realizing uh, need to be more, uh, business focus and the need for developmental changes primarily in Africa. Mm-hmm. I would say when I got to university, the president of my university, for example, is Patrick Ewa, who has achieved so many things and caused so much impact in the education atmosphere. So that's when I started developing more local examples, even uh, Kwame Despai, for example, with all he's done in the business world, Kofi Annan and all he's done in the UN. So that was more of a realization, doing things like Model UN, business projects with Hall Prize and championing all those projects brings you to the local hemisphere of people that are doing great things in Africa. So I would say more of experiences in those spaces uh, led me to identify more local role models. So you attended, you know, Ashishi University. Has any of your family attended that university or did they influence your decision to attend? Because I know yeah. in Ghana, 
you know, we went to school together yeah. and most of our, you know, colleagues ended up going to mm-hmm. the Western world, either in the UK or the United States to study and, you know, he decided yeah. to stay there. For sure, for sure. Um, so the initial plan actually was, I had a brother and sister who also went to the high school I went to, Faith, mm-hmm. and they were supposed to go to Canada. They were accepting a university in Canada and that's where they were going to pursue tertiary education. Yeah. But then they decided to take gap year. So during that gap year, the transition period, my parents were like, you're just at home. You might as well do something with your time. Why not uh, go to a chassis and see how it is? Mm-hmm. And then they stepped into the campus and about a year later, they were in love. And so they gave up on the opportunity to go and study abroad. Yeah. So I think I realized in my latter years of being about to complete high school that I did want to go abroad. I'd been in one school my whole life, so all my friends were going abroad, and that's certainly a community I've built over a while, so it was a community I wanted to keep, as well as the chance to be in a new space and have those experiences which are a lot more different than studying in Ghana. So there was definitely a need uh, to go abroad and to probably have a bit of fun while learning. Um, But I realized I was going to end up in the chassis, and although it wasn't my first choice thinking about everything. When I thought of going to school in Ghana, it was definitely the only option I considered, the only school I applied to. Because at the very least, I knew that if I was going to spend my time here and I wanted the fullest experience and also an experience that would enable me to go abroad. Because during my period at the I've traveled to the Netherlands for business programs, gone to London for public speaking opportunities. And so, it allowed me to study locally, but also gain global experiences and be a more well-rounded person to pursue the global economy. So that's how that transition happened, okay. studying locally. Well, two years ago, you were the commencement speaker of your class. Yeah. How did it feel being awarded you know, that title or being given that chance yeah. to be <laughs> the voice of your class? That's, that's a big one. Um, Yo, that was a a very, very happy day. Um, Initially, I actually didn't even want to apply for it. And so how it works in Ashesi is when the class is about to graduate, people are nominated to be the commencement speaker. I actually didn't go for that nomination session. I was in my room because I was busy thinking about life in the future and what opportunities I wanted to pursue post-graduation. And then I got a call that I'd been nominated. <laughs> so I now have to run there and come up with a speech to deliver to the full class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a big rush. But then again, it was a realization that these are people I've been with for four years. I've done a lot during my time in the chassis and I do care about inspiring young people. So as much as I may try to put my life together, I have a responsibility to my class if I can be a public speaker and also a responsibility to let my speech carry the weight of what young Africans can do. And so, albeit a very short period, it was just like, okay, you've got the chance and you just have to make the most of it because it's not just about you. And then it was like, go hard or go home. And (laughs) they seemed to like it. I think I got above uh, about 80% of the total vote, which was really huge because it was about six people um, vouching for that. So that was, that was extremely great and a good summation of my entire experience. And I feel that speech and that experience really carried the purpose of what I wanted my time at university to me. You were a prime example of actions speak louder than words. Because yeah. as you just explained, you didn't go sign up for the nomination, but half your class, mm-hmm. or 80% of your class, ended up nominating you. And, you know, I want to give the people some background of some of the things that you have worked on while in Ashishi. You were the international public speaking competition grand finalist that was in London. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? How did that come apart? <laughs> so that, that experience was wild. I think that experience is also rooted in my understanding of failure being a stepping stone towards success and all the lessons you can get from not making it the first time So I had actually applied to be a part of this program in my first year. 
because of my first year I was in a row I just kept on doing things I think I'd signed out for about seven clubs like seven or eight almost every single club on campus uh the, the again the idea was just to get vast experiences I believe in maximizing your youth because if you can you're able to enjoy your life more while balancing it with what you care about so it was a similar idea so signed up for almost every club was doing so many different things and I applied for this program because I founded the the base society with a couple of my friends and they wanted speakers from a chassis and I was actually a second runner-up in that competition so third that was in the one held locally so they do a local selection in Ghana and then you get nominated to represent in London amongst about 54 other different countries. And I was dead in that and I didn't go that year. Huge. And then, yeah, yeah. It's pretty huge because on top of that, when I finally went, we were only two countries from Africa, uh, in Ghana and Mauritius. And then the rest of it is just the Western world. So that's also a big responsibility. It's not just you pretty much in the room. And so, yeah, it didn't work out that year. I was dead, really bummed. Uh, took it really hard because I was on an extreme tangent. I mean, I was the only one in my class who had a story documented about him at the time. And I was on the school's website. So a lot of good things going. And then this program didn't work out. Big bummer. And then in second year, I'm in class. And one of my favorite lectures, uh, Kobe Graham, comes up to me. And he's like, hey, he had a talk with... Uh, one of the ladies organizing the program and they just uh, nominated me. They don't want any process. They want me to represent Ghana this year. Wow. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> totally unexpected after African philosophical thought. So I was just like, what, uh, where's this coming from? Uh, yeah. So that was a blow. <laughs> that was a blow. Um, okay. So it was like, definitely some of plans have changed. So again, not expected, but I just had to all of a sudden start practicing speeches. And one thing when I noticed when I got there, uh, my roommate, for example, was um, from China. Okay. And he had like support with some of his speeches from lectures and everything. But because mine was kind of short notice, I wrote on my speeches myself. I researched on public speakers, mannerisms, how to compose yourself, deliver speeches, all myself because it was such short notice. I was doing, even doing some on the plane. At the same time, I was a Unilever ambassador, so I had to be doing some program planning because we we're taking part in the idea trophy and I was doing the application with my friends. So all that was happening on the plane right before the program, whereas all the people from the other 54 countries had been practicing yeah, for, for about almost the whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, drastic difference. Um, so to get there... Uh, delivered my my first speech. Um, I believe it was. Don't fully recall the title, but I was surrounded around challenging the impossible and what you can do if you decide to connect people and connect ideas. And then the second speech was centered around being able to achieve a utopian society with a chassis being the analogy of that, where excellence can be combined with trust. Yeah. And after both speeches, they were like, uh, it was a really resounding effect to see just how amazed the people were. See, that's the largest thing. <laughs> I think people get surprised when you deliver, uh, mm. when you have the backing of, oh, okay, he's coming from Ghana. He's the only other person here from Africa. And the then you qualify. Yeah. So that's first, that's like a big blow that really puts people in check. And then everybody gets a bit excited. Uh, the crazy thing too is after that, there's an impromptu speech before you qualify. So then they narrow down from like all the 50 countries to like uh, 20 before they get to the last six who become the grand finalist of the entire program. Wow. So in all, yeah, that was my first experience of realizing the weight someone representing Africa to the world carries, as well as the responsibility and excitement to brings to allow people to realize the type of talent we have there. I got to meet uh, Lord Boating and a couple of ministers as well. So that was all also really remarkable uh, for just entering second year. So all in all, I, I think it was one of the monumental moments for realizing responsibility and the excitement and achieving. Can you... Explain about the SSG Hope Prize Challenge that you won. 
2015. Yeah. Certainly. So the Hull Prize is a larger program organized by the Hull Business School, uh, largely sponsored by Bill Clinton, uh, if I'm right. And this program looks into innovations that can assist and have a big effect on rural communities. So the final program actually has a million dollar funding price for the final winner of that program. My team got to the regionals and then we had some other obligations. So that's where we stopped, but then it was a really big idea and a really big feat. So what we developed in that year, we were looking at crowding in rural urban spaces. And so looking at areas like Bangladesh, we wanted to develop a way to improve transportation as well as living in those areas. And we're a couple of different young and excited people on campus. We met up and then we developed a solution and then uh, took the regionals home. So it was a really exciting evening of winning that because that evening I also had a play on campus because I used to act in my free time just to- With everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a, bit, a bit of everything. Uh, because I think that's how we experience and know what we are interested in. Yeah, so I literally finished, won the competition, super happy. And I went to get him to my costume uh, for the play. It was like a Christmas play. I was doing a program called Christmas on the Hill. And I was supposed to be like a, <laughs> a cool angel. So there was a whole thing to it. Uh, so that was a really fun balance of doing both things. Yeah, and it was a great chance to ideate. Uh, I'm really big on innovation is also part of my interest in design thinking as well and what innovation means so such programs there have been different ones of one like even the a4 idea challenge to share see just surrounded centered around innovation has a lot of excitement tied to it so have you always been a high achieving student academically uh no i didn't care about school again when wow. i was yeah pretty pretty uh young like uh class six, uh, probably all the way up to like, I think I started caring a bit more in form four because uh, my high school at the time used to do something where when you're transitioning from form two to form four, mm -hmm. students that do really well go to form four while the students that don't do really well go to form three. And so that's a chance for a big split, right? In relationships. Yeah. And yeah, that I, I, I didn't really want that uh, to, to slow down. So that was that pushed me to probably learn more than I had ever, uh, just so I could make it to form four. But I would say largely what uh, what pushed me to start achieving was more of um, the sense of needing to do more and being curious to learn. So it's not even primarily about academics for me; it's about the lessons in the academics. So like, I can engage in something from African philosophy, engage in something from physics in the um, dealing with quantum entanglement, engage in something from business development, design thinking, branding, as well as there's a learning experience because I, I, have, I have a big dream in terms of um, business and startups and developing infrastructure and a really revitalized business sector in Ghana. So I want to be as wholesome a person to be able to do all these things. So. It's mostly about learning experiences. So how would you say, you know, your personal experiences have shaped the way you approach your job and your job acquisition? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. So I would say my personal experiences have been to be, to stun people. People usually say I'm extra. At first, I used to think it was funny, but now I just accept it. So like, for instance, if we are supposed to do a... Uh, I recall in my final year, we were doing a midterm presentation for the entrepreneurship capstone. And I presented for my team and we were the only team in the class where the reviewing uh, potential investor in the room said, if he was giving us, if he was giving money to any team, team today it would be our team because this is the best presentation he's seen and we seem uh, ready to take on the market and it was excellent. And my lecturer, Dr. Senna, gave a remark which really stuck with me. She said, all of you see Brian and you're amazed by what he can do here. But what you don't see is he's pacing outside up and down the hallway, practicing every line, practicing every question, practicing every pause. And so you see him and you're amazed here, but there's a lot that goes on behind the background. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that philosophy of I want to be great, if somebody's bringing me on board, at least at this point in my life, they would have seen an article online or heard about me from somewhere. And yeah. what, they, what they hear is the tip of the iceberg, right? But there's a lot of work that goes into that. So then it's always about being as practiced and prepared prepared as possible, whether to pursue a job opportunity or any uh, form of career opportunity to complement the brand of built and to be more than what the person even, even expected, because that sense of where did this all come from when it's really all just as much as there may be some talent really wanting to do so well and beyond what you felt you could have achieved yesterday, just is, is a really big push and drive. So all that, yeah, combining that practice with um, the sense of proving to yourself that you're you're improving constantly and you'll do better today than you did yesterday. What project have you worked on that you've been most passionate about or felt the most enriched by? So a project I have done, I would define in terms of a role, and that'll be primarily with Design Thinking Ghana Hub. The way I got in contact with Design Thinking Ghana Hub was from being during my national service which is a one-year program that's mandatory in Ghana where you do a year of service after college. I did that program in the Shersi with the Foundations of Design and Entrepreneurship course where I met Dr. Gordon, who is a really great guy and a big expert in design thinking. So he taught me about how to apply a human-centered approach to solving problems. And I worked with him and he liked my work. And he brought me into some of his projects for the Design Thinking Hub Ghana. And with these projects, we had a vast array of people that we were teaching design thinking, business modeling concepts to and how they can impact. So we teach the people with big businesses in several industries from agriculture, uh, be it the fashion industry, manufacturing, information technology. But then the best projects we've done were largely in collaboration with the SSED lab where we teach younger people um, how to create solutions to the problems they face in society. So, for example, there was a featured project with J Junior Achievement Africa or JA Africa where we partnered with Delta and we were teaching young people how they can remodel the aviation space in Ghana. Similarly, we've had projects with agricultural institutions where we are teaching people how they can revise agriculture in order to reach a bigger market. And so all these small projects, when they relate to young people, it excites me because I know that there's going to be a butterfly effect where it's going to be recurring and ripple into other people they meet in their communities and as they grow. But also when it's with big organizations, I'm equally happy because those projects are going to improve their services, which in turn is going to improve quality of life. So in all my work experience and projects, experiences and projects, I would say my time spent with Design Thinking Ghana as a consultant has really allowed me to impact uh, numerous lives. Uh, Currently, I'm considering uh, projects at Impact Abakra, and we are looking into an economic booster project for Lagos and Accra, which is going to be really big for a couple of companies. But I'm sure we'll talk more about that as the interview continues. So now I'll just drop the nuggets and build up some curiosity. So has there been a time where you felt like you no longer have to, you know, defy others' expectations of you? Because you talked about, you know, being one of the only two Africans yeah. at the speaking engagement. Competition. You know, obviously people are going to see your skin color and obviously you just have this <laughs> perception of you right away so yeah, certainly like you feel like all right i am who i am i don't have to change your perception of me or change the way you feel me that's that's a really good question so the uh, to start to answer out a quote i came up with and which i live by is we are all giants until we compare ourselves to others we are all extremely wow. great you only start to feel like you have shortfalls when you start to realize oh, this person is taller, shorter, smarter, darker, better, this or that. By the end of the day, you are extremely big yourself. You can be as, only as big as your future intends you to be from your own actions or as small as the inactions you don't contribute to that future. 
And so that's, that's, first of all, the mindset in terms of not letting in all the voices around. And you are an amazing individual is how I see myself. So it's, that's a really strong titanium concrete vibranium wall. If you watch Marvel, I'm a big fan. So you know what that vibranium means. Um, but then moving, moving on to the question and digging deeper, there hasn't, I have experience doing really well in the program and getting like feeling chuckles in the room, like, oh, maybe this guy just got it because he's African and he wants some diversity, Yeah, you know, like those things. But I'm not moved at all because I know the quality of my performance. Mm -hmm. I, I do see a need to prove what Africans can do to the world but I never doubt my skill set and needing to prove my skills to a person or a group. What I carry mostly is a global platforms being a reflection of what we are becoming as young and as African people. But then that's, that embodiment is never shaken by outside or external opinions. I'm just doing me, however people take in that doesn't change because I have more of an internal grounding, which in entrepreneurship, your title as an internal locus of control, where I look inwards rather than outwards as to what it affects me and affects my experiences. So what drives you as a young African man? Is it success or money? Oh, <laughs> good question. I mean, my dream car is an Aston Martin. Uh, <laughs> Not bad to spoil yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? I mean, uh, the money has to go somewhere eventually. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, I have that dream car, but money is uh, is definitely equally not my focus. But Mali said, if you focus on numbers, you'll never be happy. And I live by that. I don't think money is the starting point. I think impact is the starting point. If you pursue impact and you tailor that with excellence in your pursuits that creates success the ripple effect of that success when people recognize it as wealth. but if you live for wealth you'll never be complete neither would you ever be happy you come and create because you just think more about business than you think about innovation and how long lasting impact can be so i feel it's important for people to separate those identities of what making it in life means in terms of how to count your riches, it should never be, it shouldn't be monetary, at least in my view. It should be more of the impact you're creating and the channel you're using to create that impact. Wealth is a byproduct of that. So, certainly not my primary focus, but I believe it's something that comes in time and comes from excellence in creating. How crucial. Is the role of today's young African and the development of the continent? Mm. Okay, so there are a lot of big uh, statistics about how I believe by 2050, uh, the young Africa would be uh, leading in terms of the subsets of populations in the world. In the world. So there's definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for young people, the number of young people we have compared to developed countries would be vastly larger okay um and so off the back of that i believe there's a lot of history to be made in terms of the what those contributions would be questions like are we going to be consumers to the west because if you also notice right now there's a lot more western businesses coming to settle and open branches and do operations in africa okay. it there's a lot there's certainly a lot more exploits here um, and also considering our human capital is really booming, right? Because now you also have a lot more Africans going to steady, having scholarship opportunities and everything. Mm -hmm. But then the question becomes, are we going to keep contributing as only employees? Again, there's nothing wrong with doing this. But then when you come to the consumer phasing and then the producing side, producer phasing side of things, I feel young Africans have a chance to define their narratives more. Yeah. Um, and to be more intentional about what they are actually contributing to the future because the time would come, we would have the numbers, but are those numbers going to be from the side of receiving or from the side of giving to the world? And I would be happy and prefer if 
we a large number of us find ourselves on the side of giving and creating in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. You are still listening to the Voice of Africa podcast, unveiling a continent to love, a people changing the world. In the rest of the interview, Brian talks about balancing a work life, Impact Hub Africa, freelancing at Design, thinking Ghana Hub, and his ideal future of Africa. Do you have a work-life balance as of right now? And if so, how do you achieve it? <laughs> uh, that's a good question because I believe before the car was telling you about how yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another another project coming and have to have a couple of global meetings on Monday. Um, <laughs> so uh, this would this wouldn't be anything too complicated. I think this would large like largely on time management in terms of achieving a work-life balance. This is how it works. Um, to be happy in life, you need to achieve your goals. And to be happy in life, you need to have relationships that equally bring you fulfillment. If you don't do plans or process planning, what happens is that when you have more work coming in, you tend to overcrowd your schedule with this work and then you can't find time for the relationships that matter to you. Equally, if you're just focusing on your relationships, you don't get enough time to work. And although you're happy in those relationships, you start getting an, a vacuum and a black hole in your life, which is just draining from not feeling fulfilled in life. So how, how I try to do that is to map out processes. Let's say if I got a task today, or for instance, having to be on this podcast, to map out the time the podcast is going to be, how long it's going to last, what would be successful outcomes for me from this podcast put on the timetable according to all my other activities i have to do for today what this provides me is a space so that i can have a buffer where i can equally enjoy my relationships catch up on a movie on netflix and go out a little more if the pandemic wasn't happening today so i feel building that those buffer spaces from planning processes always give you a chance to be able to enjoy life beyond work. And it's, it's something everybody should do, especially as you do begin to grow or you do begin to expand in your career. If you're not intentional from the start of it, you, you start getting caught up. But when you have buffer spaces, there's always extra time for you to fill out what matters to you. That's such facts. I like really with you a lot more too, because there were yeah. certain times where I would like completely disregard, you know, my relationships or whatever. And I just had that, mm -hmm. you know, goal. It like, happens. You know, build this up and then become like really successful. At the same time, you have to, you know, have a good balance because yeah. as much as working hard is good, you're always going to crash if that's all you're sure. doing. Sure. Exactly. I agree with you on that end. Can you um, give us some more information on the role that you play in the Impact Hub and Design Hub? Oh, yeah, certainly. So I would start with Impact Hub. So at Impact Hub Accra, mm -hmm. I am a, a manager fellow with the AcoAJ Fellowship Program. Mm -hmm. And what I do there is I help to curate projects, direct projects, communicate with our global partners on the different, again, projects we have. These projects largely dealing with funding and providing a space and business development expertise to startups in Africa. And so what I do there is to really manage these projects, the different participants we have in them, and also the communication flow between us and our international partners. These projects include the Africa Scaling Up program where we have 13 companies and we fund them and these companies are in extremely different sectors and in partnership with Growth Mosaic, we're able to give them development expertise and then a funding account. And the beautiful thing is this is how the funding works. We give them an amount of money and they don't have to pay back the amount of money. All we tell them is when your business grows, if you feel the need to contribute anything back to the fund to help another business, you can do so. And so that's, yeah, that's the mindset beyond that. So it's not a burden to the entrepreneur because what we are trying to do is make it easier for startups in Africa to be able to start. And also we have the Lafia project where we focus on healthcare and providing funding and developmental support to healthcare businesses. And so also 
managing these companies and looking at their progress after the program and how they are performing, particularly in COVID-19 times and whatever additional assistance they may need. That's largely where my work is grounded. For the design lab, I primarily work as a consultant, largely freelancing now because of my other work. And what I do there is to assist businesses and programs of different kinds. I've worked with Mest Africa, BIMA, uh, Global, and Ghana Tech Labs, a lot of different companies. And it's, it's largely just providing business development support, but from a design thinking perspective where they have the user in mind, the process is a lot more inclusive. So the solution as well is better tested and better ready for the market. So that's a combination of both of my uh, primary roles now. Sure. So how can the public have access to that type of information, especially with Impact mm -hmm. Hub? So that's a great question. I, I think a lot in life starts from Google. Um, yeah. So I would say, yo, yo, hit up, hit up Google, man. It's, it's just sitting, sitting there. Uh, you should certainly hit up Google. I think do small things too. I mean, I'm a millennial, so I'll be practical. Mm -hmm. The way I find a lot of things is I just follow pages, which I think were relevant information for me. So as much as I follow uh, fun or interesting accounts, let's say on Instagram or any other social media platform like Twitter, it's not bad to follow something like, um, let's say Impact Up, for example, when you know they post the opportunities to follow CNN Africa, BBC Africa, and the voice of even, Africa. Exactly. Ex yo, you put in for me, even to follow the voice of Africa. Because the thing is, for instance, having this uh, uh, interview session, you're hearing about so many more opportunities, and you may find it difficult to go out of your way to go and, you know, search for. Uh, what's the voice of Africa doing or what's the voice of Africa or how can I get my uh, business a spotlight? So I feel if you're just intentional in keeping up with these pages on just smaller things like social media, it helps in the first place because we put all opportunities out there, all our programs out there. And if you don't do that and you ever want to catch up, uh, Google is there for you. <laughs> That's a good place to start. You know what um, your social media handle is for Impact Hub? So whoever's listening can... Oh, yeah. Just just put in Impact Hub Accra and it'll pop up. Okay. Right. Yeah, just put in the name. It would pop up on all accounts. So okay. uh, you can reach us on that university. Okay. So how have your past jobs added to your insights on, you know, current workplace dynamics? Mm, that's a good question. I would say largely a place where I've taken a lot of leadership and teamwork experience to work in the office is actually from the basketball court rather than the workplace. Uh, Cause I'm a baller. I'm a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Center and power forward. So <laughs> plus I was a team captain for the long shots team back on campus. Uh, and you, you're dealing with a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people in different positions who want to do different things with the ball and have to understand the need for passing. So I would say when you take a basketball dynamic where you have five different players with five different positions, mm -hmm. but despite these different positions, you all have to run back when you're attacking or on the fast break, and you all have to come back for defense because when, you know, the scores are really tight in the game, everybody needs to be abreast of what's happening. I think those are good learning experiences, and I've actually used some of them in terms of how I handle uh, workplace uh, engagement or even uh, dis disagreement. So I would say just looking at the dynamics, how I do it is first understand people. Everybody is different and everybody has their own tendencies, personality traits. So that's the first thing you need to do. You need to know how to study and appreciate people. So one, emotional intelligence on your list. Two, relate to people. After you understand people, identify one thing that you and them connect on. And what that does is it allows you to always have a base for them to feel comfortable talking to you. So always have this in your workplace. Understand people. Know the one thing you can use to relate to them. And then the third thing you do in that space is that you try to bridge connections. So you want to bridge connections so that although you know this person, if you were to open another person into the conversation, they feel comfortable in that space. Because what this does is anytime you have problems, it makes it easier to develop solutions. You actually become a go-to person. And a lot of my roles have started out as a 
an informal leader, but then you end up becoming a leader just because you are able to identify what pe- what makes people passionate and you are able to help them curate it. So it's no longer like you are the one pushing a solution towards them, but they feel like in line with their interests, they are developing a solution together. So I think that's a great approach. Uh, and if you ever want to know how to develop it, you, sh- you can consider joining a basketball team and looking at how the dynamic plays out. Yeah, I really like that analogy you put. Just yeah. on the side though, what's your, what's your team? What's my like favorite team in yeah. the league? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, good question, man. Um, oh. So the season's oh. gonna start again in about two, three weeks. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. So I'm, let me let me put it like this: I've had favorite teams, right? Yeah. It was my Miami Heat when LeBron and oh. Wade yeah. were in there. Yeah, super hard. Then it was the Cavs for a bit. I had a hint of Golden State. So again, I'm I'm really dynamic with my teams. I had I had a bit of Golden State when I was really trying to work on my shooting. And Kerry is a beast. Like Kerry is a a beast. I think I had a a spoken word line about about how good his shots are. Uh, yo, if I remember, I'm, I'll flow a bit on the interview. But for now, I would say I had that phase. And for now, I think I followed LeBron into the Lakers. So. But forever in my heart, I'm loyal to Harden and Westbrook as well. Okay. So it's a pretty dynamic set of teams. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that would be your favorite to win this year, Harden and Westbrook? Uh, to win? Yeah, because also I, I really just want Harden to win more. I feel like he's Damn. so gifted. But then, the yeah, the Houston Rockets just doesn't get enough. Plus, that beard game is really strong, and I can really respect that. Mm. And that guy has mad skills. So, yeah. Definitely down for the Rockets this season. Yeah. I just want both of them to win, you know, just because KD has won and they, they both want MVP. Yeah. They're trying so hard, so. True, true, true. I mean, at least one ring, right? Uh, yeah, just one, just one. Nice. Yeah, just one. We'll just be one. fine. Just yeah. one. <laughs> That's all we need. So are you content with the title that you hold now or is there room for more personal growth? Good question. Um, So I have a, a manager title. I guess that seems pretty fancy. Um, doesn't matter. I guess it's nice, but I'll largely say that what you do matters more than what the title is. So as cool as it is, I would say I do different things. So I don't just hold one title. So I believe as relevant as the title is to what you're doing, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say I just wear one hat or just do one title. Because when a company calls me to help them do their brand strategy or reaches to me uh, personally, then I become a brand strategist as well. So I would say for the different things I do, I'm very fine with my titles. Eventually, when I build like a whole business empire, I'll probably just go with like business guru or something or like uh, something that just holds everything. But I would say you, you should focus more on where your specialities are and based on those specialities, titles are assigned. So what projects are you currently working on? I recall you talking about, you know, doing something in the crime Lagos. Yes, yes. So that's the COVID-19 economic booster program. So that's featuring a lot of players in the Impact Hub space, Impact Hub Accra, Lagos, Germany, and our global team as well. So for this project, uh, because of all the detrimental impacts the pandemic is having on businesses, primarily startups, but also because of all the opportunities being provided because of all the problems we're facing. There is a chance to actually support startup businesses to be able to plug into some of these problem spaces. And so that is largely what we are trying to do with this project. So we are identifying what these problem spaces are And from these problem spaces, we want to open up the floor to startups who feel there are ways that they can actually improve the economy, which is the economy of Ghana and Nigeria, and also to become a template for rolling this program in other African countries. And so that's uh, largely what we are doing with the program to provide funding, business development support, and really start plugging out some of the problem spaces COVID has created and making sure these businesses are sustainable, viable, 
feasible and have solutions that would be desirable for the economy to use. What would you tell a young African who is trying to develop a successful business or make a difference in the world? A uh, good one. Um, I would say you probably have to go on a Confucius type of journey into some distant mountain and go and do some stargazing. But that's probably a bit too rad. Um, and you may probably get missing. So to tone that experience down, I would say if you're trying to create impact, you're trying to start a business the first thing you need to do is still to go out and have an experience either have an experience that relates to the problem you're trying to solve or have an experience that relates to you the point of either of these is not to rush it but to gain insights through the things that come about from you venturing into a new space or into a, a new uh, problem sector and then from that, you then get a reflection that is provoked by who you're trying to be or what you're trying to solve, rather than you just throwing yourself towards it. When you realize this, you need to look at your skill set. Are you capable of building this? If you feel you're capable, you can get started with what you can do. And where you feel you need help, that's when you need to start identifying connections that can help you because as great as an idea or you may be you're also only as good as the support team you have so you start with going on a journey of discovery this journey of discovery that's the first this journey of discovery then becomes a touching point for enlightenment into your impact and yourself then three, you do a reflection into the abilities you have and how that complement what you want to do. So that's going to highlight either you have to learn or you have to identify skills to support you, which is the fourth thing, finding a good support system. That becomes all the complementary skills either in people or by learning that you need to be the best person to pursue the opportunity. I believe if you go through, through all these four processes, it gives you a really good chance to become whoever you want to be or to do whatever you want to do with a pretty solid foundation and grounding. Right. So how do you wish to see the future of Africa? And how do you think these problems can be resolved? Or what steps can we take in order to solve those problems? Good question. Uh, the future of Africa like an African Renaissance, I think it is a beautiful place. It's really, it's a creative space that's, that just really imbibes a lot of diversity. I believe we would move more towards Pan-Africanism as a continent, you know, where we are more connected to different African countries with a lot more commonalities and operations and everything. Even looking at all the, the trading free trade areas that are being created now to permit inter-African inter country trading. I believe there's going to be that connectivity and I believe in that connectivity, there's going to be a lot more African pride that leads to more indigenous solutions, which is going to cause Africa as a continent to be a lot more independent, but albeit independent is equally be great if it was also a lot more contributive to the global economy in the sense that, again, we became less of consumers and more of producers and providers, uh, in turn, becoming more market leaders in different spaces. So I believe uh, the future of Africa is going to be a big chance for innovation, connectivity among different African countries, and a bigger chance to reflect African culture in terms of business and social life, as, as well as creating better connections with the global world where we are bigger players in the market in our individual countries and as a pan-African continent. That's how I see Africa mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, and oh, oh, just just to add to that, I feel for sure too the diaspora is going to play a big part in this. I feel like there will be a lot more uh, renaissance between the diaspora and Africans back home in terms of shared ideas and also a better connection. And that's also really going to seep into 
what it means to be African and even just what it means to be a, a, a black person, you know, I think that connection would also mean a lot in terms of global progress for Africa. Very true. And that's, that's one of the missions of the Voice of Africa, you know, is to yeah. educate and make the people in the diaspora aware of, you know, exactly the resources that we have in Africa that could be improved and trying to make a better future for us all. So yeah. to end it off, um, how can the Voice of Africa collaborate with you and support your causes? That is a good one. Uh, I would say we'll probably need to have a private talk after this too. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to look into that. Um, but I would say moving forward, I think the Voice of Africa is a really great platform. I, beyond the projects I've discussed, I actually have a lot of projects in the work with different brilliant African business partners. I love to work with like-minded young people who are really skilled in the field. I think it's great. It enables me to contribute and then be able to trust my project. And I have a significant number of those coming up with a lot of brilliant people. So, and I hope even the Voice of Africa. So I think the platform for uh, these businesses to grow would definitely be a good touching point, as well as for my uh, business engagements currently and with, with companies such as Impact Hub or even uh, Design Thinking Ghana Hub. I think, yeah, the Voice of Africa can be a really great platform that also just represents the quality of those businesses and of that vision, which I feel is very in line uh, with with what you stand for. Right. Okay, Mr. Brian, so thank you for you know, joining us on this episode of Voice of Africa podcast. We mm-hmm. will stay in contact with you and we'll come up with some ways we can collaborate together and work towards the goal of the Africa that we want to see. Sounds good. Uh, before I leave, I'd like to leave a quote. Uh, there's a quote I really love. Uh, and I remember from my speech, Uh, by Lillian Dixon. She was a missionary and it says life is like a coin. You can spend it on anything you wish, but you can only spend it once. And so just to all the viewers to really reflect on the quality of the life you're living, um, to make it as simple as possible, see yourself as building two versions of you. You're building a really great version of yourself and you're building a smaller version of yourself. And both of them are existing in a parallel world, right? Like quantum entanglement. But then pretty much every day, your decisions are either making you into this great person or reducing you into the smaller person. So just try to be intentional about knowing that you have this great chance and this great value. And try to spend it on what you feel matters most to being the best version of you. And the whole world will be a better place for it. Hey there. We hope you enjoyed this interview. If you did, make sure you subscribe to our channel and leave a review. And if you already have, share this interview with anyone who might be inspired by it. Also, you can send us a review on how to serve you best. Join us in our next podcast where we discuss Kobe Chase's career. Catch you on the next episode.